0: Welcome to Working Code, and now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim.
1: Okay, here we go. It's show number 12 for March the 3rd. Can you guys believe we've been doing this for, what, this is episode 12, so that's three months now? We've been doing this every week. Wow. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about idiomatic code. We're going to find out what that is. And then we're going to talk about it. So I guess let's jump right into our triumphs and fails. Tim, what do you got?
2: All right. So listen, not all triumphs and fails have to be something technical or code related or job related. Yesterday, I solved a problem that I've had my entire life. I've been doing something wrong all the years of my days.
0: So curious.
2: So... (laughs) this is a podcast so unless you guys have met me in person you don't know really what I look like but I have dark hair dark graying hair and I've always combed it from the left to the right all my life and every time I get a haircut the left side of my hair sticks straight out always and I would like slap it down with tons of gel and it always I I guess I have a cowlick or something there I just always every hairdresser everyone has always just combed my hair that way so that's just the way i've always done it mm-hmm. and so i'm getting a haircut yesterday my wife is can finally cut hair again because she's had surgery and she's better now and she's cutting my hair And i'm like you know what would happen if i comb my hair from the right to the left <laughs> she's like i don't know <laughs> I'm like, you know what it's just hair let's try it But <laughs> like, you know how it always sticks up i'm thinking so my theory is if i just comb my hair the other way the swoop you know will lay over that side that sticks out and give it some weight and lay it down and look you can't see it but wow it's, it's not it's the best haircut of my life <laughs> i've been doing it wrong all these years and
1: it only took 75 years
2: <laughs> <laughs> but Nicely interesting done. i was like researching hair parts oh yeah because you know i'm the kind of person who researches things like that did you know that christopher reeve in the movie superman whenever he was clark kent he parted his hair from the left to the right like i used to like a nerd (laughs) and when he was superman he parted it right to left like i am now (laughs) Superman. <laughs> so this is a total life win. This is a game changer, guys.
0: I mean, it looks really good. Thank
2: you. I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I know it looks good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you signed on, I was like, something looks different. But I thought maybe it was just your headset, or you just had a haircut. I was like, ed- but yeah,
2: I just had a haircut, and it's not sticking straight out like like
1: alfalfa. So yeah, your headset it looks like it has another uh, skin graft on it over there on the other side. <laughs>
2: yes. Did you
0: break it again? <laughs>
2: I had to, the cheap headsets. I keep having to stick them together. Mm. But, yep, that, that's, that was a big deal just for me. Personal win. Winner. B- very nice. How about you, Carol? I'm sure you can beat that.
0: Oh, yeah. Mine's way better. Uh, I'm going on vacation, you guys. Okay. Oh, nice. That is like a triumph. I mean, it has to be. So I'm taking my kiddo, my youngest one. The oldest is at college and obviously cannot go away for any time off. So, I'm uh, taking the youngest out to go snowboarding in Lake Tahoe for a few days. And Whoa. we're going to go do some snowmobiling. And we're actually going to enjoy cold weather because it's something we don't get in Georgia. Nice. Yeah, super excited. So, peace out, you guys. <laughs> I won't be here next week. Have fun without me. I know vacation you
3: sounds awesome. Yeah, very cool. You yeah, won't yeah. be missed, but enjoy yourself.
0: What about you, Ben? What you got going on?
3: So this is a small win, but I enjoy thinking about the way I work. And uh, typically my daily routine is that like the first hour of the day I I allocate to the more passiony type projects at work. Early morning is when I'm my most creative and most passionate about doing random stuff. So it's usually my kind of side hustle work work. (laughs) Um, So I was coming up on the hour of work that I have allocated this morning and what I realized is that the thing that I wanted to get done, I wasn't going to have enough time to do. So in what I feel is typical agile mentality, instead of pushing the deployment to a later date, instead what I did was de-scope the work that I actually wanted to deploy. So when I knew I wasn't going to get to a point where I was going to be happy deploying what I originally wanted to deploy, I I stepped back. And I thought to myself, what's the smaller piece of work that is still kind of cohesively complete? Let me aim for that and then deploy that. And then I can do the remaining features at a later date. But I just like the idea that I focused on getting the deployment out and not so much about worrying on the actual, I don't want to say the functionality, but I wasn't so married to the original concept that I needed to push the deployment back. And I think that sort of keeps me focused on always keeping that drum beating and always moving forward and keeping things moving to production. It's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I'm not so good at that.
3: <laughs> <sighs> it's, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, working in increments helps a lot because nothing is so big that it can't be pared down at least a little bit. And then obviously working behind feature flags, there's not this inherent fear about, well, I'm going to push out something, but it isn't 100% complete and I don't want people to see it because no one's seeing it anyway, but I want to get it into production just so that the PRs are smaller and people don't have to uh, worry about giving so much feedback on, uh, on what's going out into the production.
0: Yeah, I'm feeling that right now on that big effort we're working on. I had to nudge everyone this morning. I was like, we're releasing this Tuesday. Could you guys go (laughs) review some more? Because, I mean, there's like pull requests after pull requests. We've we've broken it out, but there's still a lot to review. So if we could have gotten smaller chunks out, it wouldn't have been so much on everyone. Hmm. So it would be nice to get there.
2: But the important thing is, did you change your hairstyle?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm going snowboarding and you're not.
3: (laughs) Touche. What about I, you, Adam? What do you got? Well, before we go into that, I, I
1: got. I would love to, I think, be a fly on the wall for some code reviews or something in, on your team because I still can't wrap my head around these small, incomplete projects going out piecemeal into Just production, sitting, there, sitting behind yeah. a feature flag. Like, I, I get the concept of, okay, you know, I did a part of it and that's out there behind a feature flag that's turned off. But... To me, when I'm doing a code review of something, I'm looking at the thing as a whole. And so to consider that part of it is already deployed, do I need to go look at that whole thing? I feel like we need to maybe do a show about feature flags and so we can talk about this more in depth. I would absolutely love that. I thought so the
0: last time we talked about it, I was like, this sounds awesome.
3: I mean, so just to give you uh, specifics about what I was working on this morning, I I was taking data, uh, task list data. And I was re-rendering it in a different view. So it's broken down by task lists are associated with screens within our product. And then each task list can have N number of tasks, you know, checkbox tasks checked mm-hmm. or unchecked. And I was hoping to have an MVP, like, like a completely functioning MVP rendering all the lists. And you can check and uncheck and maybe add new tasks in this morning's deployment. But it was just I bitten off too much. And so instead of worrying about the interactivity of unchecking or checking a task, what I decided was that this morning's deployment was just going to be getting the data and rendering the lists with no checkboxes. So you could essentially see all the tasks that you have, but you can't check anything off. But from a data fetching standpoint, it's, it's feature complete. So now what's going to be happening is that the next deployment is going to be just adding the ability to mark tasks as complete. Hmm. So it's it's you know, you could look at a list of tasks and say, well, that's not functionally complete if it's task and you can't check them off. But from a from a sort of workflow standpoint, you can fetch data and render it as one okay. gesture and then checking that data off as a separate gesture.
1: So you're not deploying anything that is not Functional in itself, it might not be useful without the the rest of the project. But it's the the feature that you're deploying is not gonna
3: nothing breaks
1: right yeah
3: nothing breaks nothing renders in a crazy way it's all it's all meaningful it's just not complete hmm. yeah I think I think we should dedicate a show to
2: that
0: that I sounds
3: agree. I I'd like to learn about that
2: too
0: don't do Absolutely. it next week I want to be here <laughs> <laughs> Pick a right. new topic
1: I guess. Well, I'm going to go here. I'm not on call this week, so no sad trombone on the podcast, and I'm just going to go ahead and call that a triumph. Nice. Uh, oh, I,
2: I will say. So I, I got so excited about my hair.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> <we're back laughs> that oh, I forgot. Stop.
2: So you remember my failure last week was, or my triumph was? I just was kind to myself and gave up on my issue that I was struggling with with Redis. yeah, Yeah. So I came back to that today. And I realized that the problem was not Redis, which I assume was probably not the problem was
1: it problem between the keyboard and the chair
2: <laughs> yeah, well, my <laughs> testing so it 's almost like you know we have that big thing about testing, so my testing suite that I wrote it was not doing one important thing. this is the problem I was getting when I would never would have got in production. Huh. I only would have got with my testing harness that I built. Because what I'm doing is I'm building a large JSON struct that I stick into Redis, and then I retrieve it in Redis, and I will update it from time to time. Problem is that my testing suite never would get. Re- I was using the same uh, UUID just for testing. I'd use it over and over again because right. I have to have that. That I have to pass that to another API, so I mock the data, and so I constantly had this same UUID I was using over and over and over again, which was changing the state of what was stored in Redis. And every time I would do a new series of calls, I wasn't clearing it out because at the beginning of a real flow process, it would clear out anything in the Redis store that was there already for that UUID and build it from scratch. Well, I was taking one that was halfway built already And then grabbing stuff out of it and then making assumptions off of what was in it or it wasn't in it. And it was throwing me all these weird missing data. The data really wasn't missing. The problem was the way I have my code, uh, my test suite set up wasn't really simulating a real-life functional process of Hmm. it. And so as soon as I figured it out and I said at the beginning of my test call, go delete any existing uh, UUID that's there for this uh, object inside of Redis, delete it, all, all of a sudden everything worked. Hmm. Nice. nice. So, yeah. Tests, a very, man. P- Tests, right? That's why you don't test. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Well, I mean, that's like the the thing we talked about. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It may have been on this mar- on on the, this week's release of the show where I wrote all that code. And My team was like, "Yeah," or the two, my two design buddies was like, "Yeah, not really needed." And it was all because my test data <laughs> said I needed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, cool totally get it.
1: So what are we talking about, then? Well, if we're done discussing Tim's hair... Well, <laughs> I'm sure it mean, will come
0: back up. We'll we could done.
1: always come back to the hair. <laughs> then maybe we should find out what idiomatic code is and talk about that for a while.
3: Awesome. So this is something I've been thinking about for a really long time, mostly because I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and when you hear people talk about Java code or Ruby code or Python code or Golang code people often toss around this idea of writing idiomatic code. And I couldn't tell you exactly what the definition of idiomatic code is, but my understanding is is that within a particular programming community, there's a, a, a blessed way to do some set of tasks. So, for example, in Ruby, doing data access, maybe idiomatic Ruby data access is with active record. And... I can't give you a lot of other examples because I don't write a lot of idiomatic code. I don't think, which is, which is sort of where I wanted to go with this conversation. Which is what, when I think about the Cold Fusion community, I don't think a lot about idiomatic code. And we mentioned Adam Cameron's post the other in one of the other episodes. Mm-hmm. And in the comments of Adam's post, Sean Corfield was mentioning that he always felt that the Cold Fusion community was a little bit immature. In the sense that they didn't have necessarily the mechanics that that larger programming communities have mm-hmm. in terms of your continuous integration and your TDD methodologies and so on and so forth. And I guess when I think about the Cold Fusion community and the Cold Fusion programming language in general, what I love about it is that there's such a diversity of approaches and ways to solve problems. And th- and I, and I, and I don't know if that maybe that just doesn't exist in other communities so there tends to be this this sort of bubbling to the top of the one true way to do a particular thing whereas in cold fusion you have a bunch of different ways to accomplish whatever you want i mean just take looping right you have four in loops you have each loops you have the cf loop tag you have a data access, right? You have script-based queries, you have tag-based queries, you have ORMs, you have people writing raw SQL. There's just a variety of different ways to do things. And I don't know if that represents an immaturity or it's stunted the growth of the community in, in any way, or if it's more like there's just been a lot of opportunity to find the right way to do something in a particular context and not worrying about necessarily shoehorning one particular way into every context. Does any of that make any sense?
1: I get it. Um, I, I I still haven't decided whether or not I agree with you.
3: <laughs> um, like like take JavaScript, for example. Yeah. If you're going to start a new JavaScript project right now, I mean, chances are you have uh, like a prettier JS mm-hmm. and an editor.config file and... You know a bunch of other things that maybe every JavaScript program uses. Whereas in the Cold Fusion world, I, I think those standards don't necessarily exist because everybody has a different way of doing things, and I think that that's actually kind of great. Like mm. I love the idea that everybody finds the way to solve their problem, and they're not necessarily. I I, I don't I don't want to say it's like you're burdened by this. By this homogeneity of, of approaches, it's uh, it's that there's this beautiful chaos, if you will, sure. And from this chaos, you know, births these uh, wonderful solutions. So, I like
1: that you use the word homogeneity because I feel like heterogeneity is a good thing in so many cases. I think that to look at it from a different viewpoint or through a different lens for a second, I think that what you're describing is homogeneity. How do you pronounce that? Homogenous? (laughs) What you're describing as a homogenous setup in coding projects, I think is um, another way to say that would be sort of like community... Standards, And I think standards mm-hmm. even might be a bit of a, a hard word. And I, I'm thinking specifically about your example in JavaScript about, like, you know, people using Prettier and ESLint and, and whatever other tools to um, have kind of like this boilerplate for a project, right? Um, and I think that the way that I see those tools being used in JavaScript is, like, it, it kind of gives you the ability to start up a new project and not have to you've got like these are the way I like to do things right i like my prettier i can pull in my my prettier config from my last project and my eslint config and and my editor config and whatever and and so those things follow me from project to project um i don't know that that necessarily is what idiomatic code is I, i'm
3: well, let me let see, me let me okay go ahead carol
0: no i was just going to say i think it's a lot of consistency matters so mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about idiomatic code, I'm thinking about code that is uniform and is not necessarily, I mean, I know that if you kind of look it up, it's for that specific language. So maybe it is language driven by the language, but I just think it's kind of, it's not standard. Like you said, it's sure. not a standard. It's just more of the consistency of once you agree on what you're going to do, here's what it should look like. It's kind of,
1: it's kind of like a style guide sort of thing. Right. So. Uh, I know you're doing a lot of CFML code, Ben, so let's put it this way. So a relatively recent addition to CFML would be member functions in a lot of the primitives, Mm -hmm. right? So like array.map sort of thing is a relatively recent addition. Um, And... Since it is a relatively recent addition, a lot of people are really familiar and have muscle memory to not use those things. And so you might have some people that would really strongly prefer to use them because they like they come from maybe a functional programming background or or they use other functional languages and they want to do that sort of thing. Or you might have an agreement on your team not to use um, member functions. And I think my understanding of idiomatic code is that Somehow the community agrees on what the best is, and that's not to say that you can't deviate from what that standard is, but that by adhering to those standards, it makes it easier for somebody else from the community at large to participate in your project. So say it's like an open source project or you're hiring people from the community sort of thing, and if, you're gonna, if you have a good reason to deviate from that, then deviate, but that it's, it's there to sort of provide that gentle on-ramp for other people
3: well let me let me just reposition it, it with a question. I don't think that I ever look at anyone else's cold fusion code and think to myself, "This isn't how cold fusion developers would solve this problem. I might look at code and be like, "This is not necessarily the way that I would write it, or syntactically it uses a different style than I would than sure. I would write it but but I don't think I've ever looked at cold fusion code and thought to myself. Like, yeah. oh, this is a Java developer trying to write ColdFusion code, or this is a Python developer trying to write Cold Fusion code, and clearly they don't understand the idiomatic yeah. approaches that we have in our language. I, I just never feel that way, and that seems to be something that people have in other languages.
2: I would say that's because there is no idiomatic Cold Fusion way to do things. It's very much people do things their own way.
0: But I think that's what Ben said up front was that he feels like our community or the the CFML community doesn't have that.
3: So, so is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, and I, and I guess that's the the question being begged is is I look at that and to me that's a beautiful thing because it's 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 a bunch of people finding their path and the thing that solves the problem and ultimately allows them to deliver value to their customers.
1: Okay, so let me, let but, me throw this, let me turn this around, though. Um, so uh, if that's your position, does that still hold true when you come into somebody's project and it's got nothing but CFMs and there's, it's a query at the top and then an if statement, like if a form was posted to this <laughs> CFM, then we're going to do a query to, to handle that form post and then we'll, you know, have the view at the bottom and like...
3: I, I mean, that's I, one I, way
1: of solving the problem. Ben, is that the beautiful? Here is the thing,
2: though. I still to
3: 2001,
1: <laughs> welcome to two
2: thousand one, <laughs> baby. I still maintain
3: <laughs> some code that is like that. And yes, I look at it and I think to myself, this could be refactored. It could be cleaner, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel wrong. It yeah. doesn't feel. Um, it, see, it,
0: I would look at it and say it feels wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm totally. I
0: would have a hard time sitting there going, "Let's just leave it as is."
1: Yeah, so I I agree with everybody, including the people that are not on the podcast. <laughs> so I think it, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, the concept of idiomatic code maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap because of some of the people who have been championing it for such a long time. So for me, the concept of idiomatic code, uh, you know, uh, appeared in my life through Guido van Rossum and Python and the concept of Pythonic programming. And doing things, you know, the Pythonic way. So similarly to CFML, there are more than one way to skin a cat, you know, more than one way to append items to an array in Python. But there's like a Pythonic way, which is just sort of the community agreed upon best way to do it. Or I think in the case of Python, the guy who invented the language is more than happy to tell you, no, this is the way you should do it. And so that's why (laughs) it has become sort of the, the Pythonic way. He literally wrote the language. He literally wrote the book on the language. And so he's telling you, like, this is the way you should do it. And I think that that's what I think of when I think of Pythonic and idiomatic code. And so I think that the people who are turned off by that are probably right. Like, just because the guy who invented the language says that this is the best way to do it doesn't mean that there isn't a good reason to
3: do it another way
2: right but then the flip side is i mean you can get this lava cake of code where people adopt a certain pattern and then a few years later they realize oh there's we should be doing it this way and now you have this next layer and then like let's take ben's cf example then they introduce cf script and now everything goes away from tags they have this cf script layer and, and, and then you, you add member functions, like Adam said. Now you have this other, and you have this lava cake of, of code. It's, that's not idiomatic in any way. It, that's the opposite of it. And to someone who, who comes in for the first time looking at this, it looks like a jumbled mess.
0: That's because because that is a is. Jumb- <laughs> Yes, yes, because they're, they're correct.
1: <laughs> but, but it works, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It does the, work. Messy code can work. But you
0: also don't want to not adapt new things as they develop in your technology just because you can't change it all. Because you can't change it all at once. You do have to, you know, start with new things with the new way in order to get it in there and get it working.
2: I was just going to say that I think the advantage other languages have that ColdFusion doesn't have is that they many of them have very popular frameworks that are actually sometimes more popular than the base language itself. And a framework itself is going to be more dogmatic mm-hmm. about how things are done. I and love that's the word going,
0: dogma.
2: And that's going to lead to more idiomatic looking code. People mm-hmm. can still make it look different. I mean, I've never gone to a, 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 a sample Java page in, that's using, um, what's a popular Java framework? Uh, Grails, Spring. Spring, yeah. I've never looked at a, a Spring page and thought what language is this? I look at it and go, yeah. oh, I can see this is mm-hmm. this is a Java-based language. It's Spring, right? And I, a lot of times I've seen open source other languages and I have no idea. I have to really look and go, what language is this? Because it, it doesn't conform to a certain style. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it, um, it does help the immediate recognition of, of issues.
0: So I sent you guys a, um, a GitHub Post, I guess, or I don't know what it is, actually. It's a repository. There you like go. That's the be... word I'm looking for. Uh, it's Rick Walden. But basically, it just has like a layout. It's like idiomatic JS. And it doesn't, it's, there's a spot in there I had read where it's like, look, this isn't the dog one for it. This is not how you have to do it. This is just what makes sense between a lot of people that do it. So that you can easily adapt and come into code and start reading it and know what's going on. And if it's all written uniformly and consistently, it's easy for people to come in and start learning on it and help you with projects. Like one of the things is like, who cares if it's quote, if it's single quote or double quotes? The key is just pick one and do that every time. Don't mix it. I mean, that's an easy one.
1: And I think to to go back to something Ben had said on a previous episode about how much he hates prettier and <laughs> <N-E-S-L- laughs> Uh I think that that is the whole point of that project. Is like you know the decision gets made, and you could there is no right answer, right single quote, double quote, whatever.
0: No, just uh, make a decision. But you make
1: a decision, and then you have a tool that makes it consistent for you. Yeah, I think if that you that's don't like
0: the, it, don't write it that way, and they will fix it for you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like that Tim talked about different frameworks and kind of the framework teams or authors kind of defining what is idiomatic for that framework and i I mean i don't want to toot my own horn here but as a as a framework author you know i've created taffy we'll do it for you thanks (laughs) and uh it's funny because i have sort of subconsciously made an effort not to look at people's code that they write with taffy because i know it would get under my skin Mm. (laughs) um you know it's it's tough to see people doing things in a way that you wouldn't do it um and not that there's anything wrong with it i'm i'm super happy that people are using it that they like the framework and that they're productive with it Uh, and i would probably have an eye twitch if i saw (laughs) the way that some people use it um so i just try not to if i can Uh, you know, look at it or or look at it and then put it out of my mind. And I I like the concept of, so I I think maybe you're both right. So like the language called fusion, the the shepherds of the language, the various corporate shepherds it's had over the time, over its lifetime, haven't uh, specified what would be considered idiomatic CFML, but the different frameworks, whether that's like MVC frameworks or, you know, my case arrest framework or whatever, they kind of do. And I'm okay with that. Like, you know, you when you move between a model glue application to another model glue application, or or when you're using Cold Spring in one place or another, they they look similar, and that convention mm-hmm. is helpful. I, I would
2: I would take the other side, you know, of what I just said and say that, it, <laughs> that that people who insist on code being I like to see you know I try to see both, but yeah. yeah, people that, that that try to be overly idiomatic who really you know buy into that it really can just become the ultimate bike shed right absolutely yeah ultimate triviality you're like well you know what Uh, we used to do it that way but you know this guy released a book about this and it's really much better to do it this way for da 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 da. so now we're now we're all going to do this right and it doesn't really buy you a whole lot so you don't want to be you know Blowing with the winds of whatever is fashionable at the day because then you're going to, that would be another lava cake problem Mm -hmm. where you're just adding layer and layer there because every time some really smart person comes up with a much more elegant way to do a certain thing, uh, now you're arguing that you have to do it that way. So it's got to, ultimately, you want it to work, you want it to be readable, and you want it to be testable and be bug free. Right? There's
3: something that you're saying in there which reminds me of something else that I hear occasionally on podcasts. And it's this it's it's this feeling that people don't want to have five waves five ways to solve the same problem. I've actually heard people on podcasts say, I don't wanna have five waves to do the same thing. I want the one way to do it and I just want that to be the way that I do it. And I look at that and it's that's not I can't relate to that at all. Uh, I mean, half of the stuff that I do turns out to be worthless garbage, but it's an interesting experiment and maybe I never revisit it again. But some of the stuff that I do, I end up finding interesting patterns and stuff that I actually do refer back to and think about, oh, this is actually a new and interesting way that I could solve this problem. Like, uh, So in ColdFusion, in the last few releases, they allow you now to iterate over things using parallel threads. And so I start to look at that and think, well, how can I use that to maybe parallelize data access in a way that we haven't been able to do historically in Cold Fusion? And you could look at that and say, well, that's not how you're supposed to do data access, but well, maybe it is if I'm gonna have long running queries and I want them to run in parallel. And I don't know. I I just love that there's so much flexibility in the language and that flexibility to me has never felt like a paradox of choice. Mm-hmm that flexibility has always felt like opportunity and new and interesting ways to solve problems.
1: Sure. I'm with you there. I, the the ability to do things multiple ways has never made me uncomfortable.
0: No, it's like amazing. It gives me opportunity to see it multiple ways, to look at how you get there using two different approaches.
1: I think maybe though, thinking about it a little bit, it, Maybe there's a little bit of like a paradox of choice situation here. So think about the the junior developer just fresh out of boot camp or college, and and they're trying to learn the language and the tools, and you know now they have to learn Docker and Kubernetes yeah. and you know all that. And so and then also oh by the way, there's seven ways to add stuff to an array. Like you know, you got to pick which <laughs> one is best for you. So
0: good. I want to see what you do. <laughs> I like. I want to sure, see how you go down that it, route. Like I,
1: I, ultimately, I agree, but I think that. The, it can be overwhelming mm-hmm. to somebody who has to take all this on at, at the same time.
0: But I think if you threw them into just some front-end JavaScript, they're still going to be faced with some of those same challenges. They're going to see multiple, you know, which package are you going to use? Like, yeah. what version are you going to use? What are you going to do with it? So they're going to have to be making these choices the rest of their life.
1: Yep. This I feel like this whole episode is just going to be... Uh, we are for it, we're against it, we're for it, we're against it, we're for it. We're against it. <laughs> and, I don't have a strongly held opinion
2: yeah, on it at I, all. Yeah,
0: I'm not I'm not saying I'm for or against either. And to say that we to say that the CFML community doesn't have um a true idiomatic way of doing it, I would say It's a lot of what other people have posted. So if you go look at work Ben has posted in his blogs, you see that just copied back in. You see people just reusing what's already been designed. And it's not, from my experience, it's not often thought of new ways. It's just how has someone else already solved this. And I'm just going to redo that.
2: Cut and paste is not programming
1: no Ooh, careful there <laughs> shots fired <laughs> uh, I, I know you're always after your haters but uh, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> it, it's not uh, it's not know, as so difficult as, as coming up with the, the algorithms on your own but just just because you found it online and and you're like oh yeah that should solve the problem and, and i'm not saying like
0: i'm good with try it pull it in there and see how it works uh, for you yeah i mean but you should understand think, what the code's doing.
1: I just think right. we need to be careful not to categorically say if you copy and paste a single line of code from Stack Overflow, then you're a bad programmer. Like that's, oh, I don't, no. and I don't think that's what you're trying to say. But I think if we if we're not careful, to
3: and I'm lazy. Tim's over there like oh yeah, Two well, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> you are a programmer.
0: we but you're not about...
2: programming right there. You're copying and pasting.
0: <laughs> We've talked about like me being lazy before. I don't want to type it out. So I'm going to copy and paste it and then just tweak a few things. Like, I don't want to sit and type out the whole line. I understand what it's doing. That doesn't make me bad, Tim. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying it's not programming.
3: (laughs) Uh, So uh, here's, here's maybe one other thought that I have, and maybe this is the last like real concrete thought I have on, on the topic, which is that somebody wants to go to bed. (laughs) When, when you're in a community, when there's a blessed way to do something and and it's looked down upon to, to deviate from that course, then it feels to me like there's almost an elite group of people whose job it is yeah. to now evolve the language because everyone else has to be writing the idiomatic code and you have to have this, you know ivory tower architects who mm-hmm. eventually come in and say, well, actually, we've been trying some other stuff, and now this is the new idiomatic code that everyone should be writing. And it, I don't know if that's if that's a reality, but when I hear people <laughs> talk about idiomatic code, that's where my brain goes. Like, okay, well, oh, if the-
0: that's what it is, I don't want it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm against it now. I vote no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I, I well, didn't I, realize we were voting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want
2: secret ballot.
0: island.
1: Who's off the island? <laughs> well,
2: I mean, best practices... Are, always evolve. What what is best practices today is not going to be best practices 5 years from now. Can we agree on that? Oh, absolutely. Right. So therefore what's idiomatic today is not going to be idiomatic 5 years ago. So the the idea of idiomatic code to me sounds like it's always going to be a moving target. So the is what is the purpose of it? I always ask what's the, what is the function of something that the people are pushing and it seems to be readability understandability yep. uh being able to debug something uh being able to train new people into it and so without having to have like the the gurus from on high you know bless a certain style you know if you do follow those things you can say your code is idiomatic enough without being the one true source right because even even the docs change Right, all I mean, I mean, Java, Java's uh, time date thing used to have like a bunch of mutators for the hour, day, second. Now yeah. they have like time zone, something or another that totally replaces it. So, you know, th- th- that all changes constantly. So, uh, it, I think idiomatic code is the ultimate bike shedding argument.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, so, I agree. I, I, totally I think. Agree. So, but you just listed off a whole bunch of potentially positive things that could come from having. What you know would go quote unquote idiomatic code style guide, right? But I think where this becomes problematic is that it becomes so you, you've got this thing that exists this this is the idiomatic, idiomatic code style guide, and it exists for good reasons, and then people take it and they co-opt it for the purpose of creating us and them and like Ben was saying, and um, the the people who want to feel superior. They can. They go, oh, I can become absolutely perfect at doing everything on this list exactly to spec. And then anybody who does anything that's at all deviates from this idi- idiomatic code spec, I can point that out to them. And that makes me better than them. And I think that that where you see people enforcing like the iron fist of idiomatic code, that is the negative. Like yeah. the, 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 the code standards themselves exist for the purpose of helping people and for for creating good things all that stuff you just listed Tim but does then, it make
2: the product better and does it make my job easier
1: <laughs> but it makes it easier for your team to work together
2: and their jobs too
1: yeah yeah and uh, uh yeah so i think those two things what tim just said and what ben just said i want to mash those two together and that is the whole <laughs> that's the yes. whole thing right so you've got
2: can okay, now
0: I'm for done
1: A
2: a a Tim Ben baby.
0: Oh, God.
1: Great hair. Oh, I know,
2: right? Oh,
0: wait. Would it have hair?
1: It would have your muscles and my hair. (laughs) Or maybe it would have Ben's hair and your muscles. Oh, no. That's not so good.
2: (laughs) This just got real
1: weird real fast.
2: I know. (laughs) All right, right, meme lords. We need some memes for that. Oh, God. (laughs) Terrifying. Well, I think this has been an interesting discussion. Well, I'm interested to see what... um, people out out listening to the podcast think what's your thoughts on idiomatic code is it something you thought about is something you care about do you think it's great do you think it's stupid Are we right Are we wrong and what would been been a nice baby look like oh my god <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes uh i want to see some of those uh, maybe maybe i don't i, I don't, don't know, know.
0: <laughs> i just feel like it's going to be a watermelon it,
1: it, it's like a train wreck i, I i'm sure yeah. that i want to see them but i also don't want to see them um <laughs> Okay, so yeah, the, if you got uh thoughts on idiomatic code or terrible photoshops of of Ben and Tim, send them to us <laughs> on Twitter or Instagram at workingcodepod. Um so I, it sounds like we're basically done. You guys want to wrap it up there? Yeah, yeah, okay. We're good. Sounds good. So sounds good. before we get out of here, let's talk about our patrons on Patreon. We have uh not only a contractual obligation, but uh, uh overflowing heart that we want to thank Monty Chan, our top patron. Much and, love. Uh, so, Monty, thank you so much for your continued support, and of course, thank you to all our patrons and all of our listeners because you are all supporting us in your own ways, and we love you for it. If you're interested in supporting the podcast financially, you can check us out on Patreon at uh, patreon.com/slash/workingcodepod, uh, and we have some different perks there for our different uh, support tiers. So, check them out. One of them is a uh, Discord access. I think everybody, all of our patrons get Discord access, so they get to come hang out and participate in discussions and we got early access to shows and stuff like that so it's it's a lot of fun over there in the in the discord talking to each other oh and the after show baby oh yeah the after the show after that's where we're, that's oh, where we're heading after this that's uh-huh.
2: where the magic is
1: so uh thanks everybody for listening don't forget to share the show with a friend because uh word of mouth referrals are the best referrals uh, tell the algorithms to boost our signal by leaving us a review or rating on iTunes. Send us your topic suggestions on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod. We'll catch you next week. And until then, your heart matters.
0: You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.
1: Ready, Setty, Spaghetti. Here we go. It's a, an episode of our podcast that we do on Days for Topics. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it's the
0: best one you've done so far.
1: Okay, here we go. Today, damn it. <laughs> now, now you're just in your own head. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at this, right? <laughs> Top tier podcast hosting.
0: You get I what you pay for. Work. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> I shoveled snow today for the dog. That's love. <laughs> not, not that she does it normally, but I, <laughs> I, I had to. I, I shoveled a area in the back so that she could go pee. How <laughs> kind. She That's got the little nice legs. Of you.
2: She's like, Ben, my tiny paws can't hold this shovel no more. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. I mean, one inches is a lot more than people think.